matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. And you are wanted and you are valued here. We have stories of faith that connect us, whether you're in Connecticut, Colorado, the United States, or Europe, or anywhere in the world. Brian McLaren is an American pastor and author, and he talks a lot about the emerging church. In other words, what the church needs to be to thrive. And he said, institutions provide stability and continuity. Movements provide direction and dynamism. Like skeleton and muscles, the two are meant to work together. It's not an either-or situation. It's an interdependence of institutions and movements. Be the church, that placard that we're handing out and really hoping people will take seriously, is our invitation to look at the movements that give the church direction and dynamism. If you look at all things listed in that Be the Church, you will see that each one connects to different movements. And these are movements that help to bring about God's dream. Movements that are the inbreaking of a world where servant leadership and love is at the center. It's a movement that is fueled and sustained by God's Spirit. It will not run out. It will not be depleted. In fact, when we engage in that movement, it gains more momentum and actually gets stronger, not weaker. From a timing perspective, this week's movement to protect the environment is timely given that September 20th um, has been designated as a global, global climate strike day. And it's time specifically in advance of the UN Climate Summit that's going to be taking place a few days later. If you don't know anything about this, all you have to do is Google it. You'll see plenty. And on this coming Friday, there is a demonstration that's planned on Main Street and 6th Avenue in downtown Longmont at 430. But there are a lot of local events if this is of interest to you. But you might also choose to partake in what I invited the children to, and in turn, families too, which is to consider how you might demonstrate a commitment to protect or preserve the environment on Friday. As we go through these different aspects and movements of being church, we will be blessed to have people who are actively engaged in these movements share reflections with us. And this morning is one of those times. Peter Bronski is a community member, and he's actively engaged in the clean energy movement, and he's going to offer a reflection this morning. Peter, thank you for being with us. All right, good morning. A lot of sullen faces, it looks like. Um, so I thought I would start with a confession this morning, um, and that's that my attendance here on Sunday mornings over the fullness of time has been pretty spotty. Um, I think this is my first Sunday here in weeks, maybe months. And it, it's not so much that I have an aversion to being here, it's rather that there are other things also competing for my time. Um, and for one, and I think this is true perhaps of a lot of Coloradans, 
is that I'd like to take a page out of the book of naturalist John Muir. There's a quote attributed to him that reads, I'd rather be in the mountains thinking of God than in church thinking about the mountains. <laughs> and I, I, really, I take that to heart. Um, but my environmentalism originally sprang from a love of the outdoors, though in the decades since it has taken on a more expansive view. And there's a lot of ways to think about our environmental motivations. There's the idea of nature holding intrinsic value, that it has worth separate and apart from anything that it might deliver to us. There's the idea of nature as a provider of social good and our own self-interest, things like clean water to drink and air to breathe and shelter over our heads. And then if we take, the, I think, the most hardened view, there's this idea of nature as a source of economic value when we think about extractive industries and how we might derive financial bottom line from what the nature can provide. And you can attach yourself to one or more of these motivations, and they could be purely humanistic, or you could also infuse that perspective with an element of the divine or a spiritual component. On that front, I'm a fan of the writings of Jesus scholar Marcus Borg, who often talks about God or the divine as being both imminent and transcendent. And I paraphrase that as being seeing the divine in all things and beyond all things. And it's the first part of that, the imminence, that I think has a lot of relevance for environmentalism and our relationship with the natural world. Uh, which ironically brings me back to John Weir. He was also, in addition to that, that great quote that I love so much, one of the pioneers of the wilderness preservation movement. And this idea of quote-unquote wilderness is really a distinctly American ideal that has since been adopted throughout the world. But at its core, the idea of wilderness is both beautiful and tragic. On the one hand, as a society, we have unlocked the capacity to recognize places of extraordinary inherent natural value and beauty and to permanently protect those places. But on the other hand, this very definition of wilderness cleaves apart humanity from the natural world. By law, wilderness is a place in which humans have no permanent presence. And separating ourselves from nature in this way is both risky and unfortunate because it opens the door to exploitation. But in fact, we've needed to be that strict with ourselves because we generally have a poor track record with environmentalism. There are times when we can act essentially like a cancer or a virus on the earth. Um, and so we need to protect the most special places that we have. Ugh, this is really depressing. The good news is that our capacity for destroying the environment can be equally matched by our capacity for protecting and rehabilitating it. Which brings me to reason number two why I might not be in church on a Sunday morning, and that's relative to my job. For the past two decades, I've focused my professional career on the environment. And so, taking last weekend as an example, I was in New York giving a TEDx talk on the clean energy revolution. And so, spoiler alert, some of what I'm about to say is also a preview of what will maybe make me YouTube famous when Ted posts it to their channel. We'll see. Time will tell. But first, by way of just a quick segue and a tangential story, I didn't start out working in the environment. Um, circa 1997, I was in aerospace engineering. Even before I went off to college after high school, I started working for a New York aerospace company. They designed electronic sensors for satellites, rockets, and other aerospace applications. I went to Cornell University to study aerospace, and while I was there, became a Lockheed Martin engineering scholar. But partway along that journey, I suddenly developed this crisis of purpose that uh, aerospace didn't feel like my life's calling. But then what was? And after a good bit of soul-searching, 
I, I discovered that that really was environmental sustainability. And I remember walking into the office of my engineering faculty advisor at Cornell and laying out the plan to abandon aerospace engineering and instead pursue a degree in natural resource management. I've never forgotten his response to me. He looked at me and he said, I just want you to know you're leaving the money to go hug trees. <laughs> I'll never forget, verbatim quote, I walked out of his office and didn't look back. And since then, my career has focused on a range of environmental topics, wildlife, water, wilderness preservation, transportation and mobility, but I've spent the biggest chunk of my career and the most recent focused on the clean energy revolution. The question is why, and that's because of climate change, which uh, Sarah, thank you for mentioning. It's unique among environmental causes, this climate crisis, because its impacts are so far reaching. Conflicts over water scarcity, the severity of natural disasters, food insecurity, biodiversity loss, heat related deaths in vulnerable populations, and the list goes on. Climate change has a finger in every one of those pots. And I realized along the way in my environmental career that if we didn't solve the climate crisis problem, it risked undermining every other environmental cause that I was working on. Now, even here in Longmont and the Front Range more broadly and across the state, we're seeing the effects, long-term trends in our snowpack and our water supplies uh, that supply our drinking water and our irrigation for agriculture. The number of 100 degree days that we have each year. I'm sure you'll all remember the 108 degrees we hit this summer. June and July were the hottest June and Julys on record globally. Um, and that heat wave hit not just here, but also in Northern Europe, where cities like Paris and others in Northern Europe that don't have air conditioning reached 109 degrees Fahrenheit. I mean, it's really staggering. The frequency and severity of wildfires that we have here and our beloved alpine mammals like the marmots and the pikas that are retreating to these islands in the sky, isolated and cut off as, as they are going higher and higher, uh, trying to escape a warming Colorado. So what do we do about it? Well, clean energy, the good news here is that clean energy is in the midst of an unstoppable tipping point. The important question now is not whether clean energy will become the norm, but rather how soon it achieves that outcome. And that question of speed in the clean energy revolution is really at the core of mitigating the worst impacts of the climate crisis. And here in Colorado, there are really two primary levers that we can pull. One is how we generate our electricity for our power grid. And number two is our transportation system and especially our cars. So if you were to vote between those two, which do you think is the greater impact? The power grid, by show of hands, or our cars? You've, you've done well. Uh, so. An enlightened audience, you've passed the test. So it, it's really both of them together. They work hand in hand, but it's our transportation sector that we can really get the most emissions out of. And it's really a twofold equation. Convert our transportation system to electric and then make our electricity as clean as we can through renewables. So let's just take a closer look at those in, in reverse order. Uh, looking at our power grid, uh, many of us, unless you live in Longmont, probably have XL Energy as your utility. Uh, and they've made tremendous strides with renewable energy. In fact, Excel is, I think, for something like eight years running, the country's leading provider of wind power. And now they're adding a lot of solar to the system, too. Uh, if, like my family, you live here in Longmont, you have a municipal utility. Uh, and we're one of four front-range communities that all get our energy from Platte River Power Authority. In December, they unanimously voted to pursue 100% clean electricity by 2030, which is a really encouraging sign. Yeah, that's worthy of a, of a, little, a little clap. 
You know, and that, that really puts us among the forefront of an exciting clean energy wave when you look at the number of countries, states, U.S. cities, Fortune 500s, all of them setting 100% renewable energy targets. Some of them are already there. Many of them are getting close. Uh, here's another pop quiz for you. Among major U.S. cities, could you guess who ranks number one in renewable energy with 92%? You want options? This is not multiple choice. <laughs> All right, we'll give you options. Let, let's say San Francisco, California, Seattle, Washington, Houston, Texas, New York City. Houston gets it. And what's so amazing about it, arguably it's the oil and gas capital of the country. And, and I think what's perhaps most poignant is if you follow the financial markets, earlier this summer, the London Stock Exchange reclassified its oil and gas stocks as non-renewables. It's an, it entirely reframes the conversation. It overnight makes renewable energy the new default. That's now the status quo, and fossil fuels have become the alternative, the other. So th that's some really encouraging news. What about on the transportation and mobility side, which, which you all correctly voted was the, the number one lever that we can pull here in Colorado? So electric vehicles are exploding right now. You've probably seen it personally driving around town with a number of Teslas and Nissan Leafs and Chevy Bolts and others that are now on our roads. In fact, at the end of last year, there were already more than one million electric vehicles on the road in the United States. By 2030, just a decade away from today, that number is expected to reach 19 million. And by 2040, two decades away from today, globally we're expecting electric vehicles to make up more than half of all new car sales. Now, 2040 sounds like it's a long way away, but consider this. The average American drives their car for about seven years, and the typical automobile stays on the road for a total of about 11 years. That means that 2040 is just two to three cars away from today. That's a tectonic shift in our transportation system. And EVs are incredible, really, for a couple of interrelated reasons. Number one, their powertrains are super efficient. If they ran on gasoline, they would get more than 100 miles per gallon fuel economy. Of course, they don't run on gasoline, they're electric, so they have no tailpipe emissions. And as we were just saying, as our power grid gets cleaner and cleaner, electric vehicles get cleaner too. Uh, it, it's apropos because today is actually, I don't know if this was deliberate, but today is the kickoff of National Drive Electric Week. And a local organization here in town, Sustainable Resilient Longmont, today from 11 to 3 over at the Boulder County Fairgrounds is hosting their local event for National Drive Electric Week. So if you're EV curious, that's a great chance to get in a car, take it for a test drive, and see really what they're all about. And so a couple of quick con concluding thoughts. Now, this climate crisis, based on the sheer complexity and magnitude of the challenge, can really feel daunting. But I think, and I think there is real worry to be concerned about it. But we are not powerless against it. You know, unlike the early wilderness movement that, draw a, that drew a distinction between people and planet, we see now that they are so interrelated, we cannot unlink them. And we've seen here locally in flood recovery and other examples what it can mean to be the church. Uh, and I don't mean the church writ large in terms of big tent Christianity and not even uh, the church in terms of the UCC. I mean quite specifically the people in this room and those who are connected to this community but maybe not here today. Um, this church quite specifically, UCC Longmont, and the power of what coordinated action can do, whether that's with flood recovery or something else. And so my call to action to all of you who are here is not to be the church, but to be this church. Uh, and if we do that, 
I think that we can together make our contribution to battling the climate crisis and help to accelerate that revolution that is already happening so that we can, in fact, address these impacts that are already on our doorstep here and now. So thank you very much. Beloved, you are part of the light of the world. So go forth to love and to serve our God by being of service to one another and being of service to creation. And this week especially, go to the mountains and think about God. Go to your garden and think about God. Go to the grocery store and think about God when you see all the produce. Be silent and allow God to be at work within you. Because wherever you go, whenever you go, you go with the assurance that our God is before you to light your way, behind you to encourage you, above you to watch over you, beside you to befriend you, and within you to bring you peace. May you be that peace for others. And let us say together, Amen. Amen.